This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about settlement solutions, litigation, mediation, and structured financial security from Ringler, the largest and most experienced company of settlement consultants in the United States. Ringler has been helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by American General, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello and welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, and we're certainly glad you could join us again today. Well, if you've been watching the national news recently, you may have heard about a terrible gas explosion in the Massachusetts towns of Lawrence, Andover, and North Andover. On September 13, 2018, excessive pressure in certain natural gas lines owned by Columbia Gas Company and its parent company, Nysource, resulted in a widespread conflagration. Sadly, this tragedy resulted in one person losing their life, while 30,000 others were forced to evacuate their badly damaged homes. Today on Ringler Radio, we'll cover the extent of the damage to so many families and discuss the already pending litigation to provide some relief. Joining me as my co-host today is my friend and Ringler colleague, Joan Pagnano. Joan began her career with Ringler in 1983, assisting in the establishment of the Boston office. And in 1996, she became a Ringler consultant, heading up her own office in the Boston area. So with that, welcome to the show, Joan. I wonder who you assisted in that opening of the Boston office. <laughs> it wouldn't be the host that I'm sitting across from. Yeah, in fact, Joan and I opened that office, boy, it seems like ages ago, but... Uh, you know, that's what happens when time flies by. It was ages ago, Larry. It was. <laughs> and our guest today is Patrick Haynes, the managing attorney for Napoli Skolnick PLLC. Patrick is based in Austin, Texas, and he and a group of other attorneys are currently involved in the litigation surrounding this natural gas disaster right up here in Massachusetts, where, where Joan and I are right now. So with that, welcome to the show, Patrick. Awfully glad to have you join us here on Ringler Radio. Well, thank you very much. Very happy to be part of this. Happy to talk about it. Terrific. Well, Patrick, while the media coverage was nonstop when the explosions occurred, as with all major stories, the cameras quickly moved on before all the facts were known. And so what can you tell our audience about what really happened in these gas explosions? Bring us up to date. Well, we've got very lucky in this situation that it was being investigated by the NTSB. So it had a very professional, very quick investigation, boots on the ground, uh, and their preliminary report is not final, but the preliminary report has come out and has made it very clear that this was really a problem with the renovation plan that was created by uh, Columbia Gas in terms of the failure to account for the fact that these old mains that they were working on that were made out of cast iron from many, many, many years ago uh, had regulator sensors on there. And what they were going to do is they're, they're coming into the system. It's a low-pressure gas system. It's not tr- transferred to your home at high pressure. It comes into your home at the same pressure uh, that you use it at. That's the, that's the plan, at least. And what happened here, they're working on these old cast iron mains. They're replacing them with plastic mains to update the system. And when they shut off the regulators on these old mains, those mains interpreted that as a low-pressure situation. So they automatically, in these control mechanisms that regulate the flow of gas, boosted up the pressure about six times of what it should have been normally. So it really comes down to a failure to 
design the renovation plan correctly. The work was being done on the ground by a contractor, but there were people there from Columbia Gas, and Columbia Gas created the plan for the renovation. Interesting. Just a quick uh, comment. You mentioned the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, being involved in this investigation. What, what would have caused them to be involved with a gas explosion like this? From my understanding, it's the transportation of these pipelines across state lines has always been an area that they felt you know, had some risk. And so the NTSB was assigned that jurisdiction to investigate mishaps involving those pipelines. Yeah, it's interesting. Patrick, this is Joan. I just want to say hello and welcome you to the show also. Thank you. Now, I understand that, um, you know, you being involved in this litigation against Columbia Gas and its parent company, NISource, you know, that you're currently working on individual claims for those affected. So we're wondering, you know, do you have any thought as to potential settlement timeframes, settlement as a group, or, you know, possibly leading to trial? Yeah, thank you. I think that it's it's obviously a very early stage right now. I would love nothing better than for Columbia Gas to come to the table early on and say, you're right, we messed up, let's take care of this situation. But I don't foresee that. I, I just I would love for that to be what happens, but I just I figured this is going to be one of those things that drags out for a fair amount of time. One of the biggest issues is going to be the corporate mentality will take over at some point, and they will want to know what the risk is. So they're going to have to know how many claimants are there out there, what are the scope of their damages. And unfortunately, many of these people are still incurring damages on a daily basis because the vast majority of these people that lost heat are still without heat. And so that is a daily addition to their damage total of what they're incurring. Uh, it wasn't. There was a relatively small number of homes that actually burst into flame or exploded, but there was a much, much, much larger number of residences and buildings that still, as we sit here today, don't have uh, gas or hot water. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Is there a time frame around that as, as opposed to, you know, when they may all have their power restored? I recently heard it's maybe being delayed. Yes, Columbia Gas had come out and told everyone that November 19th was going to be the magic date, that no matter what, everyone would have their service by that date. And they brought in contractors to help them from outside states and, and have, I know, they have been working a fair amount to try to get this done. But it's become very clear based on watching their progress that they've, they're measuring their progress, that they're nowhere close to getting that done by that deadline and have begun to acknowledge that that's not going to happen. And uh, I think people kind of in their brains thought that was going to happen, but people were hoping for the best, of course, hoping that it would somehow be done before the weather turns cold. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, tonight it's going to be in the 30s uh, up there tonight. And uh, now they're talking about, well, maybe end of the year. Uh, I mean, I think they honestly don't know. I, I know that it's it's a progress. I know that it was issues that maybe they said they didn't foresee. Uh, one of the biggest issues they say they didn't foresee was that the, so many of the houses were not up to code. Well, these are predominantly older structures. Uh, if you've been in some of these towns, you realize some of these structures have been around since the turn of the century when the Irish and the Italians were the immigrants, and now it's a different generation of people. But those same structures are there, and they've never been updated. And so that, that, that really shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. No, no question about that. But you know, uh, Patrick, not only were individual homes destroyed by these blasts and individuals affected, businesses were also destroyed. And I understand you're, you're working on a class action suit 
limited to the businesses impacted by the disaster. And talk to us about how businesses have been impacted and how the loss of those businesses have affected the communities. Absolutely. It's a, it's a relatively small community, and so you're talking small businesses, a lot of what we in Texas would call mom-and-pop uh, chains and stores. And so these people, for the most part, don't have a lot of money in the bank. They don't have a lot of insurance to cover these types of losses so that, say, you own a restaurant, and when you can't have hot water in your restaurant, you can't serve food. The health code violations would keep you from actually serving food many times. So some of these places have been shut down completely. Some of these places have been very limited hours. And as a result, of course, they're immediately taking a a hit on the profits. And then each of their employees, because they're off work, they're not getting paid, then that means they can't spend the money that they were spending before. So what it's created is a wave within the community, a little mini depression, where it's being felt in this community on every street, whether or not they were damaged by the fire or not, it's, it's, an, it's a neighborhood-wide, it's a city-wide, it's an area-wide problem. And many of the folks that are dealing with this, these businesses, are the type of people that would really never contemplate filing a lawsuit for that type of, mm-hmm. of thing. They're not, mm-hmm. that's what, you know, when I'm, I'm, I'm talking tomorrow, I'm hanging out with the people at the Chamber of Commerce, which are typically the people that don't really like uh, plaintiff lawyers very much, right? <laughs> but I think they understand that in this situation, they certainly didn't deserve this. They didn't do anything wrong. And they're looking to see what are our legal remedies here to make uh, these businesses whole again. Yeah, no question. I mean, those people need a lot of help. And uh, we're glad you're able to provide it to them. So we'll take a quick break right now. We'll be right back, right here on Ringler Radio in just a minute. We'll be right back here to talk about this very, very uh, troubling situation in the Merrimack Valley of Massachusetts. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio, brought to you from Ringler, the nation's leading provider of fair settlement solutions. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler advisors work with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. Everybody wins. There's a Ringler consultant in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experienced experts in the settlement business than Ringler. Check out our website at www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for injured parties, attorneys, and claims professionals to find the Ringler advisor nearest you. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best, most objective financial plan. You can count on Ringler Advisors to create a customized plan that meets the financial needs of you and your family for the future. Visit RinglerAssociates.com to learn more. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, along with my co-host, Joan Pagnano, and our special guest, Patrick Haynes, Managing Attorney for Napoli Skolnick, and he's based in Austin, Texas. Hey, Patrick, this is Joan again. I just um, wanted to talk to you a little bit about the fact that you've visited with your clients and, and seen their homes and, and exactly what was destroyed by the explosion. So can you talk to us about what they're actually dealing with on a day-to-day basis and also the fact that the heat looks like it will not be back on long before the chilly weather gets here in New England? Do they have other places to stay? Are they with family? Yeah, I appreciate it. So, yeah, I went up there the pretty 
few days after the accident happened, and I visited uh, Dean Thornhill, who was our first client, who knew some of lawyers in New York that also knew us. And so we went out there and took a look at it, and I went down into his home in his basement, and he showed me the damage and explained what had happened. And, and Dean and his family have a large duplex in Andover, and they shared that with their son. And they also had a licensed daycare there that was run by their daughter, along with multiple children in the house at the time the fire broke out. And he said he was very lucky that he saw the pilot light on his stove acting funny. So he went over and he turned it off. And he thought, well, maybe I ought to check the boiler. So his boiler's in the basement. By the time he goes downstairs and into his basement, it's a flamethrower. It's literally shooting flames you know, six feet across into the basement. It's engulfed in flames. And so from that moment on, it's, it's of course, it's a survival. It's panic. Get the people out. Get the kids out. Get the fire department here. And the first thing that happens when he calls the fire department is instead of we'll be there in five minutes like usual, it's like it could be an hour. He's like, what do you mean it could be an hour? He said, do you know what's going on? You know, so the entire town is reeling from this crisis out of nowhere, dealing with it. He literally had a police officer pull up in his car and grab a fire extinguisher and go down the stairs and, and try to put the fire out with just a small portable fire extinguisher, which is probably why his home you know, was, was, was luckily not burned to the ground but suffered so much smoke damage that it'll be probably a year before you know, they're able to get back in that home again. So Dean was lucky because he had homeowner's insurance. He lived there, and in, in a sense, he's lucky. And he's got uh, some uh, – they're in temporary housing, and, and they're dealing with that. But many, many, many of the people we're dealing with in this situation were renters. Uh, most of them did not have renter's insurance. And in many instances, they, they, they had nothing when they had the fire. They, they lost everything. Or you have the situation where, as you said, okay, so you didn't have a fire in your place, but now – your gas is off, or now you don't have hot water and you don't have heat. And we've got a lot of older people. I've met with sick people that have lost their medicines that had to be refrigerated. And it's just a scramble of, of what to do. And initially, Columbia Gas said, oh, don't worry about it. We're going to give everybody a space heater. And they, they had that rolled out as their plan. And then they realized they couldn't do that because many of these space heaters, when matched up with these older homes that were not up to code, would create a massive fire hazard. So there, there aren't any, I get it, there's not a lot of easy solutions here for people, but uh, whatever we do, it's going to cost money, and, and it's going to take a, a lot of effort, a lot of money. And, and so far, what we've seen has been very sporadic, very spotty, and not a whole lot of response, frankly, from, from the company. Right. You know, uh, obviously, what you were mentioning about a lot of the people not having insurance, I guess a lot of, a lot of folks there are depending on you to kind of come along and, and help them uh, with some relief to, to help recover something that'll help them to be able to go on with their lives. And, you know, to be fair, Patrick, uh, I think it's important to mention that Columbia Gas CEO Steve Bryant did announce that they'd be donating money to a special relief fund for the victims, saying that uh, the citizens of this community are hurting. And as a step in the longer process, Columbia Gas would like to announce they'll make an immediate $10 million contribution. Uh, that's a good first step, of course. Uh, what else do you think uh, they're currently doing to assist those homeowners who are still displaced? Are, have they been a good corporate citizen in this process? You know, it, it was a good first step, and it's always appreciated when people, you know, help out. But And $10 million is a lot of money to all of us, right? But when you think about the volume of people hurt here, when we're talking 30,000 victims, that's a little bit more than $300 per person. And, and initially, I think what I think more than anything that the accident, a lot of people could, could in some way say, well, accidents happen. But it was the reaction of the company in the immediate aftermath of 
the fires and the explosions, and they just were AWOL. They were not there. They weren't present. They were ducking for cover, it seemed like, frankly. And these people are fighting for their lives, fighting for their property, and there was, there was no real response from the company for quite some time. And still to date, they have been hard to find and hard to pin down on what exactly are you going to do, what are you doing to try to help this. And, and it doesn't seem like they had a plan in place for something like this. And when you sell something that's an explosive gas, you would think you would have a plan for what happens if this goes wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, obviously that's uh, <laughs> that's all going to be part of the uh, the litigation that you're talking about as you as you move forward. Patrick, do we know yet if this uh, disaster could have been prevented? I think at this point, with the NTSB preliminary report, I think we absolutely can say that it it could have been prevented. It sounds like this is a situation where Columbia Gas went into this renovation without planning for these pressure sensors, these lines, and and knowing what to do to shut those off as you're replacing them in a way that wouldn't trigger this massive overpressure. Uh, And the second thing that I think, to me at least at this early stage, seems to be an issue is that the minute that it happened, there was a reading in Ohio in a control center which indicated that the pressure was six times normal, that it was far too high, that it was a dangerous situation. Unfortunately, that center in Ohio had zero ability to actually do anything about it. They couldn't shut it off. They couldn't turn it off. All they could do was try to get in contact with the crews on the ground and tell them about it. And by then, of course, they had a whole other problem going on because they're starting to see houses explode around them left and right. So, again, it seems twofold. One, the design, the plan going into it seemed to be poorly drawn up. And then, B, not having really a backup plan for if this goes bad, what do we do? Interesting. Well, you know, as we close the show today, uh, it's it's very clear that, as you have, you've told our audience and uh, a lot of the folks who have been watching the news about this issue know – uh, lots of people have been impacted by this uh, Merrimack Valley gas explosions. Uh, so if someone is searching for help and dealing with their hardship or they know somebody who is, what, what would you suggest they do next? I think one of the most important things to do is always in a situation like this is to talk to a lawyer. It doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be anybody I know. Just talk to somebody because there are a lot of legal ramifications to the things that are going on. We've gotten a lot of questions from tenants saying, do I have to pay my rent if there's no heat? Uh, And I think you need probably an experienced lawyer right there in that community to advise you on that because that's a tricky situation. You don't want to get evicted. You don't want to end up in that situation. But it's the kind of things people need advice on. And so what I tell people, if they've got insurance, if they've got property damage, I've been suggesting to people they consider uh, contacting an independent adjuster so they can have someone take a look at it that doesn't work for the insurance company. They can evaluate the damages and make sure that you get made whole at the end of the day. Uh, I tell people that if you have legal questions, you should talk to a lawyer. If you have uh, a feeling that you're not getting enough attention from your local political support, you know you don't feel like the, the local political people are paying attention to you, Organize and make yourself heard because that's the only way that you're going to get attention. Like you said, this is kind of faded off the newspapers nationwide, but this is going to be a long-term ongoing struggle for these people, and they need to know that their local uh, politicians, the local neighborhood organizations and things like that are there for them and really – 
you know, if this was a hurricane that had hit Boston, we'd have FEMA there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have that. The local communities have really got to stand together, pull together, and, and almost handle this themselves, unfortunately. Um, you, do know, you, you do know that when, whenever these kinds of situations occur, and if pol- political folks aren't really doing uh, what the folks think they should be doing, obviously the, the media is also available for them to contact and maybe shine a, a new spotlight on, on maybe the uh, – the issue of, of what's happening and the aftermath of all of this. So there's, there are a lot of things to do. I think your your initial comment, though, about when in doubt, talk to a lawyer, I think, is a good one. And uh, in that in that context, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, uh, Patrick, how would they do that? Probably the easiest way is, is, is email. Uh, my email address is phaines, H-A-I-N-E-S, at Napoli law.com. Uh, you can Google me. You'll find me at Napoli Skolnick. And uh, this weekend, actually, we're going to be up in the community in the Merrimack Valley meeting with businesses and individuals, just having some open houses and, and talking to people. So I'll be there all weekend. If anybody wants to email me, I'm happy to answer any questions they have. Well, that's terrific. And of course, this weekend, the Red Sox will be winning the World <laughs> Series as they go out to Los Angeles. So I think the people's spirits might be buoyed a little bit by that. And Joan, if someone wanted to talk to you, how would they do that? Uh, the best uh, way to reach me is, well, there's two ways, but the office is 781-383-8310, and my email address is jpagnano, P-A-G-N-A-N-O, at ringlerassociates.com. Terrific. And of course, if any of you out there want to talk to any Ringler Associate, you can find them on ringlerassociates.com, which is a terrific website. It's got a lot of great information. I encourage you to go visit with it. Uh, all of the Ringler Associates are on there. And, of course, you can also uh, hear all the Ringler radio shows. They're also on ringlerassociates.com. And you can also find those shows on ringlerradio.com, legaltalknetwork.com, or you can go to iTunes where you can download and listen at your leisure. So with that, I want to thank you all for listening. And, Patrick, uh, once again, thank you for uh, being here and uh, and informing us about what's going on with this uh, tragedy in the uh, what we call the Merrimack Valley. Uh, and, of course, we'll be keeping tabs on that. So thank you again for being here and uh, and letting us all know about it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And, and, Joan, thanks for being a great co-host. You're welcome. So with that, all the rest of you out there, go have a great day. And go Red Sox. Bye-bye. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Celebrating more than a decade of podcasting and over 2 million listeners. Think of Ringler, the objective settlement advisors with more than 140 consultants in 60 cities nationwide. Visit ringlerassociates.com today. We'll be right back.